Okay, well, let's pray just briefly. God, we're, we're at it again. Here we are, looking at uh, peacemaking and what this looks like and how to take what you have given us in the gospel and replicate that in our own lives, thinking wisely about these things. We pray for your help because we desperately need it. So be with us in questions and discussion and as we work through um, what the Bible would have us do and the wisdom that flows from the things explicitly laid out to those not those things not explicitly uh, laid out. And would this play a small role in being a blessing in our lives, uh, in our homes? I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, so last time we finished up, as I understand it, uh, with the gentle restoration how, and we talked about uh, keeping things as private as possible for as long as possible, based off Matthew chapter 18. I didn't want to make a um, and I, I did want to say once more that Matthew chapter 18 is not somehow the uh, only rigid way to ever do any kind of conflict resolution, any kind of church discipline. It is kind of turned to as the passage, and uh, certainly it is a good one, and it is true, and we should look to that passage, but there are sometimes people who, who kind of disqualify people's rebuke of them or disqualify something because it wasn't because they made a process error or something like that. Oh, you 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 did you did this step before this step. So what you're saying here doesn't count. Well, I mean, when you look at Corinthians, 1 Corinthians like uh you well, 1 Timothy, Hymenaeus and Alexander got handed over to Satan you, to be taught not to blaspheme. You've got a guy who's committing some kind of very public immorality in the church of Corinth and Paul that asks for a vote or a congregational letter he says, "Guys, out of here. Throw him out." The same guy uh, well, perhaps actually that's up for debate, but at least that person gets gets he gets um, thrown out. So, uh, so Matthew 18. I'm turning to this, but not because I think this, that uh, every single time, every single thing has to be done exactly like this. That's not what I understand it to mean. And I don't think that Jesus is getting at. He's laying out a template for life in the kingdom uh, and life in the church, particularly very much how the Sermon on the Mount is not some comprehensive Christian ethic or philosophical or systematic theology. It's here's what standard life in the kingdom. Um, should look like. Okay, so with that caveat, we are to keep things as private as possible for as long as possible. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Between you and him alone. Speak face to face when possible. With a phone call as a second option, and as a general rule, avoid using texts and emails, and that is simply because uh, tone is difficult to read uh, in texts, uh, in the written word, and and I've I know that I've received a lot of text messages. And, that sounds sh short or snarky, or that email came across like. But the, really, if I had seen like that person's face as they were writing it, it would be totally different, right? So it's just difficult. Uh, be quick to listen. Ask questions that discern the heart. So you can always see the what, but not the why. And we're going to talk about that more today. You can see the what, what happened, but you don't know exactly what they were trying to accomplish in that moment, why that happened. Uh, and so you can ask good open-ended questions. And by the way, open-ended questions are the opposite, well, the opposite, I don't know, are contrasted with closed-ended questions, which are basically yes or no questions. Did you, is, those how yes or no questions start, right? Is, fill in the blank, did you, whatever, Open-ended questions, how, what, why, or even a pseudo-question like, tell me more about this, okay? 
Um, talk to me about how you understand these things. All of those allow someone to explain instead of just say yes or no. And then finally, like I said, bring in the hope of the gospel. There's a way where someone can repent and you can still kind of hold it over them socially or, or, or there, there's a feel that they are in your debt or something, even though that's supposed to be the opposite of what forgiveness is. So bring in, make sure you clarify the hope of the gospel that reconciliation offers and don't leave that person um, just feeling continually, continuing to feel guilty, sad, they're walking off, feeling like they, they have to you know, pay you some more debt or do something nice for you. No, I mean, you want to explain the hope of the gospel. Like, no, this is actually genuine reconciliation. And sadly, and I was talking with, I believe it was Steve Cannell about this, there are a lot of people who just frankly, and we saw this over the last two and a half years, they just don't have a category for having a conflict, things really breaking down, and then really working through it, and really asking for forgiveness, and truly moving on and not living there in the past. Too many times what we've seen is, you have something, there's relational breakdown at some level because of something or other. And people just say, well, we can be, you know, we're going to be friendly, but we got to kind of go separate ways. It's like our relationship has to end because we don't agree on these things and it's created this conflict and, you know, it's sad, but sometimes that's just what happens. Well, no, what's sad is that a lot of people can't actually do this well. That's what's sad. That's what's sad. Because there really is category a lot of people don't even have the muscle memory for of being something being broken, a relationship being broken, and there being sin, and you working it out, and even on the other end of things, having a better relationship than you did before, perhaps, because of the conflict. Okay? So, bring in the hope of the gospel. Bring in the hope of the gospel. Don't leave someone feeling condemned even in their repentance. Okay, so the, the second part of the how here, Matthew 18, 16. Let's read the next verse. Um, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So you're only going to bring in otherwise believers as a second step. This is your second step, generally speaking. And again, you might be thinking of very complicated situations where because of the nature of the offense, you might want to have someone with you on that first I get it. That's what I'm saying. This is not a comprehensive way to do every kind of confrontation. This is a template here. But we're only going to bring in other believers as a wise second step. You might say, well, this person uh, said that I was just wrong and I just needed to, they had, that I had things totally wrong and they told me to go kick rocks. Do you think, I mean, am I off here? What do you see here? Can you love this brother too, sister too? You know this sister, you know this brother. Um, would you be willing to partner with me in having a conversation with them? Okay, or do you think that I'm out of line? Do you think that I'm seeing things incorrectly? Maybe I'm the one who needs to be rebuked. So you bring in wise believers as a second step. One, for the sake of your own discernment and soul, because there's safety in a multitude of counselors. We see that in Proverbs. But also to help compel this person. In some cases, it may be wise to alert the other person that you are doing so. So do not be the person who says, hey, let's meet at Panera Bread. In the morning, I'd like to talk with you about something. They show up there. They've got their small group leader and three of their pastors sitting at the table, and they turn the corner with their coffee like, what on earth is about to happen? Okay? So you don't want to do that because then that person, do you think that person is on the defensive at that point? That person has their guard up. They are freaked out. Am I going under church discipline? What is, why do I have the pastors and the, and the, and the you know, who, why are they all sitting here? I had no idea 
that they were going to be here. I thought I was just meeting someone one-on-one for coffee, and there's a small army assembled in the corner of Panera Bread waiting for me to sit down. So that's, that would not be a wise way to do it. Yeah, you probably give someone a heads up, a heads up. And do not seek counsel when you're thinking about these things from your group of yes men or women. Involve people who will tell you what you are doing is wrong and who are willing to point out your blind spots. This is So your, your circle of, of people who you listen to, who stand to influence you, it needs to be full of at least two kinds of things. Number one, it needs to be diverse, older, younger. You want some people who lean left and some people who lean right. You say, well, I don't want the person who leans left or right. I want... I want the person who either is right where I am or is, no. What you want to listen to is a diverse group of folks, younger, older, wiser, younger. Uh, uh, I said that twice. You want uh, different personalities. You want different strengths. You want different levels of maturity, perhaps. Um, but you only you don't want to go down too low on the maturity thing. But I guess that goes along with the, the maybe the, a younger uh, believer there. And you want to be sober-minded. The people who influence you, your small circle, needs to be sober-minded and mature, generally, and, uh, and diverse. And why? It's because you don't want to take a di- go to a diverse group of folks who have, no, who have terrible discernment. That's a really bad idea. But you also don't want to go to just a b- group of people who just agree with you on everything. And again, in the polarized climate we find ourselves in, we have people gravitating towards the tribalism, where it's just kind of... It's an all-or-nothing package on every single issue, it seems. It's an all-or-nothingism on just about everything. You're either right or you're left. Either you're, you're, you're progressive or you're you know, holding to traditional Christian values, whatever exactly that means nowadays. Uh, and, and, and there's very little understanding that most people are closer to the center uh, than they actually realize, but it's an all-or-nothing kind of a thing. It's polarizing. Don't seek counsel from people who are just going to tell you yes and make you feel good about what you're doing. Uh, I heard one guy say everyone should have one or two friends that they're almost scared to ask for candid feedback from because they know they'll get it. Do you have any of those? Who you're like, I really do not want to ask this because I know they're going to give it to me straight. Ask those folks. What do you think? I'm not saying someone who gives it as a jerk, but someone who is candid. All right, any questions about some of the practicalities on the how there? From Matthew Matthew 18, 15, and 16. Okay. Well, I suspect that, um, that, that many of you have thought, yeah, yes, sir. Sorry. Um, well, then you got to do the, well, I say, number one, you could take some, some concrete steps to try to assemble one, but in that moment, you've got to do the best you can. I mean, you got to work with what you've got. Do you have people that you could, that could call who, who don't live near you? Do you have anyone that, I mean, yeah. So if someone is saying, well, I don't have anyone to bring in, well, they don't have any, you know, they got to do the best they can. Yeah, Asher. Can they be what? Well, well, they certainly can at some level, but, but you would want to say like, if this person isn't a wise, isn't wise, then, I mean, opinions have to be weighed and not just counted. So you might have five really wise people who say X and a hundred people who say Y. But it may be that that well, I'm doing the scale the wrong way. It may be that the, the weight of those wise counselors is really actually a lot more meaningful than a bunch of regular people who just said this other thing. So, yeah, you, you do want to go to people whose judgment you esteem because that's going to weigh more. OK, again, judgments have to be weighed and not just counted. OK. 
Great question. Any other questions about that? Okay. All right, so, so I suspect that some of this uh, just is common sense, okay? I suspect that most of us have heard this thing. I suspect that for the next section is going to be a little bit different and is going to make some people feel a little bit awkward, uh, and that's okay. And that is conflict when sin isn't the primary issue. And I think that this doesn't get a lot of attention in the church. Conflict happens all the time because of things that aren't sin. They happen over whether dishes are in the sink or in the dishwasher. They happen over how cold or hot we're going to keep this house. They happen over strategies for homeschooling and discipline. They happen over whether when we have our free time, are we going to try to use it to be productive or are we going to rest? Um, or what, are we going to spend our time outside or inside? Are we, all the rest of it. There's a million examples of conflict that don't have anything to do necessarily with sin. And yet, many times people's feelings are hurt. Low-grade bitterness settles in. Um, there are frustrations that occur that can lead to, to bitterness. And, uh, and so we have to ask the question, how do I resolve a conflict if sin isn't the primary issue? And I think a lot of people's answer who haven't talked about this stuff is just kind of, well, if there's no sin, you just kind of just, oh, well, you just kind of deal with it and move on. It's, um, which I don't know if anyone would say that out loud, but sometimes that's how it seems. And so what I want to do is just sketch a way, one way, not the necessarily the way, but one way to approach coming into someone, coming to someone in some kind of um, confrontation, not necessarily over sin, but because there is a conflict and there is something that is grinding, uh, that, that is causing the two of you or however many of you to grind, and, and, and it needs some resolve. But it's not a you sinned and need to repent. It's just there's something here that needs to get ironed out. You see the difference what I'm talking about? Okay. All right. And so here's the little, do I have, um, let's see what I have up here. Oh, yes. Okay. So I'm gonna. This little template is gonna sound way too therapeutic for some people. Just but just bear with me. Where I just give me some time to justify it before you think I'm going off the deep end. Okay. Just hopefully I have some some credibility built up here. Um. Oh wait, do I have another one? All right. Action, feeling, explanation. Action, feeling, explanation. You don't necessarily have to do um, in that particular order. But instead of coming to someone and saying, you did this and imputing a motive to them, you're being selfish because of this, um, you might come to them and just describe what happened. Hey, when you did this or when you said this, okay, as I understand it, that's what you said. That's how my memory, did you, you said that, right? Or when you did this, did you do that? Yes, you did. Okay, great. We're tracking. That's the action. I felt why, or I was irritated, or it rubbed me the wrong way in the ability, in the absence of your ability to name your feeling. And by the way, this is very difficult for most people. Very difficult to name the feeling. It's much more difficult than you think. Because you're really stuck. Most people are going to name thoughts and not feelings. They think they're naming a feeling. They're not. They're naming a thought. Um, I felt Why? What was it? I felt disrespected. Well, hold on. Disrespected isn't a feeling. That's what I'm saying. I felt disrespected. I felt what? Hold on. Wait. But again, that's not a feeling. So when you're disrespected, how do you feel? You got to get me one layer deeper here. 
Now, it could just be that you are just frustrated, um, which is also not a feeling itself. But 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 that is, in some cases, it's just pure frustration. It's just things aren't lining up. It's just, oh, I'm just I'm just I'm agitated because of these of these things. I'm not angry about it. I'm not sad about it. It's just frustrating. Uh, when Will, he found <laughs> Will climbed on top. We hid it from him. He climbed on the top of the counter and found a kazoo. And yesterday was just walking around our house. And he would come up to me with huge puffed cheeks and go, and just blow it. I was like, son, do you understand how obnoxious that is? It was just frustrating. I wasn't, I didn't have an emotion there. But anyways, so I want to challenge you to think through this. It's going to be more difficult than you actually uh, think, than it sounds. When you did this, I felt why, not a thought, but a feeling. Because, and then you're going to give your explanation. And this gives an opportunity for you to be wrong about your interpretation of what has just happened or what was just said. When you did this, I felt why, because it seemed to me like you were in that, in that, 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 that you were filling the blank. Then there's my disrespecting thing. I feel like you were just being disrespectful. Because from my perspective, it showed that you didn't care about what I even wanted to do. Um, because it came across as fill in the blank. Now here, why is it helpful to, to, to split it up like this? Okay, let me just give you a couple of reasons. And my guess is this is new for most people. Okay, so I, I don't accept you to, yeah, let me just explain. Breaking it up like this does some things. Number one, it makes sure that you're accurate about what in fact was said or done. So it gives you a check. When you said this, and what, oh, that's, not, that's not what I said. I didn't say this. I said this. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I thought, I thought you had said this. Well, you said that you went to the store after. The, well, no, no, no. I no, I, I misspoke. Actually, I went to the store before filling the blank. Oh, okay. So now, instead of coming in to saying you lied to me about when you went to the store because you were, it's like all of a sudden now I've interpreted the action. I've gotten my fact wrong, and I'm de I'm dead. I'm sunk. Now I'm falsely accusing somebody of something. Okay, out of my frustration or what I sense to be maybe a looming sin that isn't an obvious one. I say when sin isn't the primary issue, not that there wouldn't necessarily be sin somewhere in this process, but you're not, the, the conflict is not precipitated by something explicitly sinful. Okay, so the action step, when you said or you did this helps you get your facts right. This is the fact check part. I get my history right here. Feeling. This gives you someone, this makes you, number one, appear human to people, and it gives them a chance to exercise maybe a little bit of empathy. Because it's one thing to say, well, I just felt like you were disrespecting me. But in other cases where, where you have other emotions come to the front and you can actually name those things, it makes people more tender. It's like, I just felt really sad. I just felt sadness. Um, I felt anger. I felt shame. I was I felt shame when when you did that. I felt shamed in front of our friends when you said something about my weight compared to Becky or whoever. When you said that, I, I felt shame because what I thought you were doing was making it very clear that I don't measure up. See that? I've got an action, how I felt, and an explanation for why I felt that way. So we got the action, the feeling. Allows people to empathize. It makes you human. And then explanation. Everyone is an interpreter. Everyone interprets language. 
And remember, like our buddy J.L. Austin, who wrote a little book called How to Do Things with Words, that words can actually accomplish verbal action. So, for example, when my son puts his hand up on the oven, I'm always saying, it's hot when it is hot. And I'm not just communicating information. I'm actually causing him to pull his hand back, right? It's a warning. Uh, when you say I do in the right context, you actually change things, right? Words do things. But here's the thing. Everyone has to interpret verbal actions. When someone says something, everyone has to make a call. And everyone does make a call, whether you know it or not, about what that person is doing with what they are saying. Well, they said this. Oh, yes, they were encouraging me. No, actually, it was an underhanded slight. That's my interpretation of what was what they were doing. They were sliding me, but it sounded good. Oh, they were. Oh no, you know what? They weren't either. They weren't doing either one. They were trying to butter me up because there's something coming behind this. Um, oh, this is a this is an empty piece of praise that this person is giving. Um, oh well, I know what they were trying to do. They were trying to make it seem like, and all of a sudden, I'm into my interpretation of things. I'm into my interpretation of what they're trying to accomplish with what they said or what they've done, okay? Or you're trying to get out of responsibility by saying you're going to take the kids. I had a seminary professor who would always volunteer to put his son down for a nap, and he would end up napping as well there. And his wife caught on to this and interpreted his, started rightly interpreting his offer to put the kid down for a nap as an opportunity for him to check out, which is not necessarily wrong, but he wasn't being forthright about it. It would be very different if said, I'm tired too, I'll put him down, We can both, I'll, I'll take a nap. But he, what he did is he packaged it up as he was really serving the family, when really he was serving, to whatever extent he was serving his family, he was also serving himself. So she interpreted what he was, his offer, and it ended up being a correct interpretation. But here's the thing, we get these interpretations wrong all the time. All the time we are getting our interpretations wrong. And if you get your interpretation wrong, if you get the action wrong or the interpretation wrong, you're most likely going to have the wrong, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the inappropriate feeling. Okay? Because thoughts affect feeling. What you believe affects how you feel. If you misunderstand what someone said, you can obviously understand how you might feel different than if you had accurately understood what they said. Or if you, what they said was right, but your interpretation was wrong. In fact, I had a, I had a brother who came to me, it's been years ago now, but he was like, he told me that, that I had said something to him and what he, he interpreted as uh, me trying to butter him up uh, because of some criticism that I had uh, given him and trying to kind of make amends so he would get back on my side. Well, he came to me and said, I went home and talked with my wife about that. She was like, that's stupid. Like, that's not what was happening at all. And then after he talked through it, he's like, oh, yeah, that isn't what was happening. He came back and confessed to me. He's like, dude, I gave you a really uncharitable interpretation. I understood what you said, but what I thought you were doing was this, and that made me feel this way. So these three aspects here, when, when sin is not the primary issue, it gives someone a chance to say, I'm so sorry that you felt, you know, like you didn't matter, that you felt sad because you weren't invited to the baby shower. It was not my in, intent at all to, to make you feel less than. And I am so sorry because brothers and sisters, just hear me out here. Feelings are not true or false. 
Someone who feels a certain way when they shouldn't feels the same way as the person who feels that way when they should. Right? The person who is unjustifiably angry is feeling the same thing as the person who is justifiably angry. They are. They, or they can be. I'm not saying in all cases. But the feeling itself isn't true or false. Okay? Suppose you misunderstood what I said and you were devastated by it. Well, suppose the next person understood correctly what I said and they were devastated by it. Those, those people both feel devastated even though one person misunderstood me and probably and shouldn't be because they, they had a misinterpretation or they, they got the action step wrong here. But when you have someone who feels that way, you don't have to tell them that we well, just get over it or, well, you know, well, you're, you're wrong, and so you shouldn't, you, you misunderstood what I said, so you shouldn't feel that way. You have an opportunity to say, oh my God, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, I, I had no intention of causing it. And, and, if, and you know what? If that was my understanding of things, I'd probably feel sad too. All of a sudden, I can enter into that. That's something I can enter into without a he said, she said facts. We may disagree on the facts, but I can still be sorry this person feels this way. And then um, perhaps try to explain what's actually going on. Okay, so uh, I think that when we approach conflict, when sin is not the primary issue, if we break it down like this, this will help us challenge our own thoughts, think through our own feelings, and make sure we're accurately representing what people say, and then allow them an opportunity to say, "Am I get? You know, are you're, you're getting this wrong? You're off. Here's why." Okay, so any what, what questions might you have about this particular approach when sin is not the primary issue? Because notice in here, nothing is like, well, you sin because verse whatever. All this is, it seemed to me, kind of things, and, and, and this didn't sit well with me, kind of things. What what are the, what questions might you have about this? And then and with the questions, let me also add, what do you think is for you if you've never if this is brand new to you? What do you think would be the most difficult part of this model right here? What do you think? Let's, I want to hear from a couple people. Oh, yeah. I, for, I, I, I said that part, but I didn't put the, I said that part, but I didn't put the, the, the bullet up there. Is that the case? Am I, am I saying things correctly after I give my interpretation? Yeah, Asher. An interpretation means I'm seeking to understand. Um, I'm seeking, a, in this case, a proper understanding of something. Yeah, so someone says something and I say, you know, here's how I understood, here's how I'm understanding things. Um, and that's kind of how you interpret. That's what an interpretation is, really. Yeah, great question. Well, so any, what, what, uh, what would either, what do you think would be the hardest part of this? Um, to implement, or what, what question do you have about this? Yeah. My question was about the feeling section. Yeah, yeah. And you were saying that there are some things that seem to be, you know, you get a feeling, you're like, well, that's not really a feeling. Mm-hmm. It seems like you're limiting the scope of what, you know, just something that's bad or happy or angry or like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you got limited uh, vocabulary for that. Frustrating to me is, is the, the nuance that's different than anger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure, yeah. So really when you boil it down, and Chip Dodd has a little book on this where he just boils it down to the eight core emotions or feelings. 
where underneath certain things, um, let's take disrespect, for example. I felt disrespected. Feeling disrespected requires some kind of context, some kind of situation, some kind of explanation to even have to feel disrespected. Um, and generally, that's, that ends up being the case with most of the emotions. But, but I think the, you can clarify the difference by asking when, you, when you're disrespected, how do you feel? And it's probably something like, I feel angry. All right? Or I feel, I could feel sad. Uh, depending on the context, I could feel shame. But I'm getting at the emotion that comes under that cat, the categorical thought of something like disrespect. Or I feel lesser than. Okay, so when, when you feel, when you say, when someone makes, uh, suggests that you're lesser than, how does that make you feel? When you get down to that core emotion, you become a little bit more human to someone because saying I felt disrespected is, is, is really trying to combine the, two, the, the explanation and the feeling. Because you're, you're assuming some kind of interpretation of what was just happening, right? Instead of just saying, here's how it felt. Um, and then you give your explanation. So um, when you did that, I was I was angry. I was angry because it seemed to me like it was a very clear, you were just blatantly disrespecting me. You see how that's a little bit different? So I'm trying to go beneath the interpretation, and it doesn't matter what order you give it in, really, uh, to, to talk about how, what, a, what emotion, what, what is, bring, is coming out? What is driving me? Why is this agitating me so much? Because there might be times where you feel disrespected and you're not angered. You just, maybe you're annoyed or maybe you don't care. Especially if you're a public thinker or a public pastor, people disrespect you all the time. You probably don't care. There are some cases where you're disrespected and it, you're, you have anger, you have shame. Why is that? Well, it's because they're not the same thing. So I'm, I keep using the disrespect, but examples could be multiplied. So I think the answer to the question is, um, and again, this is why I think it's difficult, is you need to keep asking and you need to start pe keep peeling the onion to when this X, how do you feel? And, you're gonna, and, and it takes a little bit of legwork, but you can get down to that. And that allows people to empathize with you um, instead of saying, well, you're just wrong and you, got, you messed up. They can be, oh, I, you know what? If I had understood it that way, I'd be angry too. Now all of a sudden we're on our path to we're on a path to a better conversation at that point. Because everyone knows what it's like to be angry. Everyone has felt shame. Okay? Everyone has felt grief. So if you can enter into that space with someone, you're gonna have a much better conversation. Um, is that helpful? Okay. There's a lot more that could be said. Um but trying to get below something, a feeling that is divorced from an explanation or an interpretation. Something like disrespect always is going to be some kind of, yeah. 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 Yeah, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Um, because when you're just frustrated, like when I hear nails on a chalkboard um, I'm, or, or something, I hear a, when they were doing construction outside my house, it was just so frustrating trying, trying to take phone calls with a jackhammer going on uh, in the background. But I didn't have an emotion of, I wasn't angry at anyone. I wasn't sad. I didn't feel shame. It was just that my desires were being frustrated. Now, when your desires are frustrated, when your plans are frustrated, how you respond might certainly elicit 
uh, some a true emotion, and then you could move on. If I so say, I open the door and said, "Shut the." Well, anyway, I want, yeah, I mean, I could I could see myself. So frustration. Uh, someone said this week that frustration is the precursor to anger. But frustration itself isn't necessarily wrong. In fact, Jesus is frustrated with his disciples. For example, frustration is one thing. It's this work I put together. I got a dip machine yesterday, a dip uh, power dip station. Um, and I put it together wrong. Like I, I did like three, I, did, I put it together wrong like twice or maybe three, even three times. Like I had it all screwed in and realized a plate that was sitting right here was supposed to be on the outside. I had to undo the whole thing. I wasn't angry. I was just like, Ugh. frustration. Yeah. Huh? No, not in the sense of, and I'm not saying, well, maybe what you're saying is, like, do I feel irritated? Do I feel like this? I think irritation is a feeling that can stem from frustration. Yeah. And so, um, but irritation is a form of, of againstness, which is a form of anger, even if it's not against somebody. You might just, but I didn't want to, like, throw it down or throw it out the window. I was just kind of, there was no one to even direct anger at. I was just, Ugh. it was my fault. I was just frustrated. But yeah, so irritation is going to be a form of anger. Uh, uh, or not, uh, I'm sorry. Um, acting irritably, not necessarily just being irritated. A loud noise, loud noises irritate me. I feel, I feel a certain way. But that doesn't mean I'm acting irritably towards other people, right? Um, so I might not have this internal sense of shalom, and I might feel a bit agitated. Nothing is particularly wrong with that. And listen, I don't want to be the... I don't want to be the vocabulary or the emotions police here. I'm just trying to tease out that sometimes there are clear emotions that are under things, and sometimes it's just desire desires getting frustrated, and it just feels, and you don't have some deeper emotion there. And sometimes you do. Sometimes it can lead to irritation and anger, um, or sometimes it can just lead to more frustration where you just kind of feel like this, and then it ends, and you move on with life. Is that helpful? Okay. Sometimes it isn't clear. Sometimes it can get... Sometimes we get hazy, which is why this is a good exercise to try. Even in the quiet of your thoughts, if you don't want to go rehearse this with your spouse or kids yet, just rehearse it with yourself. Gosh, okay. How did I feel exactly? How far, challenge yourself, how far can you boil it down? Because you might, you might get some heavy-duty lifting explanation of why you react the way you react. Well, it's because I just don't like being disrespected. Okay, but when you're disrespected, what, what do you feel? Because your feelings are in the driver's seat more than you actually would like to admit, I promise. I say that as someone who is a thinker and who wants to take my feelings under my thoughts, but people are, I mean, how you feel is, and how, is provides momentum that no one can really deny, okay? Okay, any other questions about this or comments? Yeah, Steve. We'll go here, here, and then here. Yeah. Ah. Uh, Yes. Yes, yes. Or in, yeah, yeah. Well, in my interpretation that was leading to the feeling, I could be, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah, I am an infallible interpreter. I'm like the Roman Catholic Church here. All right. What I say is what happened. You know, you did this. When you said this, you were. And the, 
right. Those words can't mean anything else. The way you said it, I saw the way you were looking when you said that. I saw your, and so I give my nonverbal interpretation, my verbal interpretation. I wrap it all up, call it infallible, and then accuse someone of doing of sin. And it's like, well, hold on. So the, anyway, so the, to the, I want to repeat this for the camera. What Steve was saying is that the explanation or interpretation point is kind of like asking for forgiveness, because in one sense, instead of sovereignly declaring something to be so. You're suggesting that it seems to me it's my understanding that this, because I thought that this is the case, asking for clarification, it kind of it, it, it throws it, the ball back to them to say, is that in fact, am I getting things right here? You're giving them an opportunity to say, no, you're mistaken. And here's why. Oh, I didn't. Well, or you know what? I did say that. I did say that. And now as I'm running it back through my head, if I'm honest, I can understand how, you, how it came across. I'm, I'm playing it over my head. Again, and then on second and third repeat here, I can see how it came across that way and why it would make you feel that way. I, I might even feel the same way. If I, if I step back and I phrase it like this, um, or, or, I'm not, or I'm not leaning over on the counter like this when I say it and like grunting, would, would this, is this better? Okay, yes, awesome. I appreciate that. That's how you're going to have a more helpful conversation here when sin is not directly at stake. Okay, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. 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 And so, and that's so. Let's just pause there and say, like, so let's talk the the, the aggravation piece, the frustration piece. I'm saying, in and of itself, is kind of neutral. Now, why you're aggravated or frustrated might tell you something about someone's heart. But that, so you have righteous kinds of anger, then you have unrighteous anger. Okay, I can act out of righteous anger, or I can act out of unrighteous anger and, and and frustration is the is the gate that says choose which path you will go right frustration is like okay all right I, 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 what am, is there an object of my anger and if there is am I going to express it righteously or am I going to express it unrighteously because I can be aggravated and no one has done anything wrong and I in fact I get frustrated all the time for things that don't have anything that don't necessarily make me angry again they just make me wish that things were different that's what frustration, that's what the feeling of frustration is for me. I just wish things weren't the way they were in this particular moment. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so you say, um, as opposed to saying I felt disrespected uh, and my actions that you were angry, or, is, or should it be more like I, was, I felt disrespected, so it made me feel frustrated, which made me like narrow down more on a particular feeling, or should it be more like, so it may not mean you might not be angry i mean i'm not given a template for i mean you may uh feel it's, it's going to challenge you to think about the way you feel instead of just your interpretation and like i said most people blend the second step and the third step together which is why this is difficult we're seeing some of this come out and see which is really which is really helpful in this discussion is to say well, why, who cares if you were disrespected? What if someone were to say that? Well, then you're going to have to give some kind of answer about why it bothers you. You're clearly bothered by it. Let's just assume. I'm not saying you're actually bothered by it. But the person is, you're clearly bothered by it. Why? Well, because they disrespect me. I, I, they clearly indicate that they don't care. They don't care. Okay, so when people don't care about you, how do you feel? Well, I feel shame. I feel 
sad because I feel, so now we're getting down to, oh, you're telling me that if, if I told you you were worthless, that would make you feel sad. Okay, so that's a couple layers under that disrespect, but that also requires a couple layers of interpretation too. Could just be someone has a loud mouth. Maybe someone's drunk and they say, th and they say something to you and you're like, I don't care, man, that guy's six deep. Uh, that, that's not affecting me at all. Was that disrespectful? Sure, but I'm not not affected by it. Okay. Is that helpful? Okay. Again, this is a little more challenging than it initially appears. It's going to take some practice. And I will say that I feel a little bit hypocritical teaching this because I don't feel like I'm great at it uh, in the moment. I feel like I can do this in my head, but I feel like in the moment, at least uh, at least with my own wife, uh, I don't do it particularly well, I have to say. Something I'm learning, and so I bring this to you, not as someone who has mastered this, but as someone who has to think through this myself, because I'm not naturally one of these really, really feeler types. I kind of have to sit there and go like, well, what am I feeling exactly? Okay, I want to caveat that. I do feel slightly, again, hypocrite, but, but not because I disagree, it's just because it, I'm, I'm not up here as a really excellent practitioner of this telling, coaching you up. I'm saying here's what is a very helpful model that I'm trying to become better at um, myself. And I'll just say that one of the reasons I struggle because I don't care so much about my feelings either. I mean, it's like, okay, if I feel sad, like, great. Did, did I get this? What I'm, what I'm more interested in is am I, did I get things right here? And I want to get things right. Did I, if I misinterpreted it and I'm sad, well, that's too bad for me. I want to have the right interpretation. So um, but that just is, I'm a little bit more cerebral in terms of my personality. So second step's a little bit more challenging. All right, anything else before we close up here or we start this, this start the little next section? Yeah, Asher. Interpretation, yeah, yeah, great point. Yes, because we are not the Roman Catholic Church and in our interpretation of people's actions and their words, um, it is very, very difficult. And so, by the way, let me just say, as a best practice, if love believes all things, and I understand that's a very debated passage, what exactly that means, but why don't we just give the most charitable interpretation until we have reason to believe otherwise? In a sea of interpretations, why don't we default to the most charitable until we have good reason to believe that we're kidding ourselves? I think that would be tremendously helpful here in 2022. Give people the most charitable interpretation you have reason to think otherwise okay all right well let's move on um, we got two minutes left I want to talk about the surgical uh, uh, I've, I've said both of these help me understand am I misinterpreting or misremembering things also takes a lot of humility to do that version by the way for the same reason that Steve pointed out you're giving someone opportunity to say yeah you messed up that's not what I said okay you know your interpretation was wrong and maybe they don't even respond well but you need to be concerned about you primarily not them um, the surgical model here, we should never, no surgeon ever cuts blindly. And so what I want us to think through is a surgical model of confrontation, whether or not it involves sin. So we talked about confrontation and conflict, it's sin, conflict that doesn't involve sin, at least manifestly, directly, immediately, but still has caused conflict. And I related out a different model for that. And now we're talking about regardless of those two, how can I approach such things? The surgical model, never cut blindly. 
So one question I'm going to ask is, have I prayed for wisdom and acknowledged my need for God to help me as I prepare for and move forward with this confrontation? A surgeon is going to look at all sorts of charts. They're going to have all sorts of tests run. They're going to have thoughtfully considered these things. They might have consulted other doctors who are expert in a particular field if they're doing something that isn't routine. Um, they, they are preparing for the surgery. They do not literally just walk in blindly and say, all right, hey, perform this brain surgery hey, there's a tumor somewhere, find it. No, that they have thoughtfully considered and prepared themselves for the moment. Is this the right time and context for surgery? Here we are at the movie theater. Let's cut somebody open. It's like, well, we have to consider context. Like, is this a wise context? Is this a good time to have this discussion? Here's this person falling apart because they had a terrible day at work. Just the time to confront them on their sin that I've been thoughtfully considering? Probably not. You're considering uh, the context. You're considering the time. We are at 9.45. I went two minutes over last time. I'm not going to do it again. Uh, we will come back next time and finish up the surgical model. I want to challenge you. The challenge here is to think through, especially that, that, that progression when conflict isn't caused by sin. And get to your feeling. It's going to be, it's hard. I want to challenge you to do it. Y'all are all bright folks. You can all do it with me. Let's pray. God, we need your help because these are difficult things. We pray that this, uh, some of these things are practically helpful. We have better, help have people have better conversations in their homes, that their relationships would be sweeter because of it. Bless us as we move into our next hour in Jesus' name. Amen.